0: Good to see Pastor Tim and Philip here today. We've been praying for you guys a lot and your family. And uh, I just wanted to let you know that while we were praying this week, Waymaker, we're just praying that over Lucy. We're just thankful that she's getting better every day. Stop working, never stop, never stop working.
1: pray that you'd be with us this morning as we look into your word. I pray that you'd help us to apply to our lives, Lord, not just to be hearers, but Lord, to be doers. We Thank you, Father, for your life that you've given to us, and your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Nita. As we uh, continue on in our series this morning, we've been looking at the, uh, the great comeback. You know, we all go through things, and we hope and we believe that things will change, right? And they do. Um, We know that God holds our future. And as we think about the great comeback, and I know that you maybe even find yourself here this morning in a place that it's like, okay, well, how do I come back from this? You know, it's not necessarily that you are in a... A tough situation because it may not even be external. It may be just internal and how do you come back from something that is holding you down and So this morning we're gonna look at when fear sets in When fear sets in now as I was thinking about fear there's there's not a lot of things I fear Uh, There's some things I definitely don't like, Um, and the things that I fear, if it be a bump in the house, I wake my wife up, as every good husband would, and say, honey, go and check what that is, and I've done that, so you would laugh and you giggle, but I've actually sent, yeah, I've sent, she's got some guns, and I said, not pistols, but we don't know that, we're not telling you, Um, but you know, there's times where like something is like, hey, go check it. Because there's things that come sometimes in life that just grip us. And it's like, I don't know what I would do in this circumstance. I don't know how I would handle that because we can be just locked up by fear. Anybody else there at times? Yeah. And there's times when that fear sets in where it's just like, how do I get out of this? How do I break free from this grip of fear? And my hope this morning is to to give you some some guidance from Scripture of how to get through that. Because they're going to come. Times of of being afraid and of not knowing and the uncertain. Uh, That's going to happen to each one of us. And we don't know. You know, doubts caused by emotions are out of control, uh, that are just running wild, you know can rob us of confidence in God. When we allow doubts to go unchecked, when we allow them just to run wild in our lives, they can suck the life out of an otherwise sound and living faith. So when fear sets in, we have to, I believe what scripture tells us, to take every thought captive. And say, now, where is this from? What What is this fear about? What is causing this? And why is this settled into my life? And why have I given it some chance to move? i got three things we're going to kind of look at this morning. The first is the the power of unruly emotions over the logic of faith. Unruly emotions that... Or over the logic of faith, where they just don't make sense. It's like, why am I afraid of that? Or why am I afraid of this situation? Um, I'm not a fan of snakes. Never have been. don't even like worms. Caterpillars, because they're fuzzy, they kind of like, okay. But I just, I got no space. I don't know. I got no space in my life for them. If you tell me you got a pet snake, is going to be, we're going to visit outside your house in your driveway, and I'll be in my car. Because I'm just, I don't like, you hear these stories of snakes escaping from somebody's apartment, building our house, and going to the next door neighbor, and I'm, mm, uh-uh, I'm good. I don't, I don't need that. You know, but sometimes fear is not just about, and it, trust me, see, all of them, even garter snakes, which apparently harmless but like no I don't want none to do with them and our kids they we went to a campground one time and I'll tell the story because it's funny for me or about me not about them we went to a campground one time and this guy brought snakes there and I'm like really and it's like this big yellow snake I don't even know what it was a corn snake I think they called it and my daughters are like dad it's so soft you should come touch it at that point in time in life The only thing snake that I had it, I didn't have snake skin cowboy, was I had a snake skin belt. It's like, that's as close as I'm getting. They're dead and it's sewn into some leather. That's as close as I'm getting. My kids are like, dad, come touch this snake. I'm like, no, uh, no, I'm good. But sometimes those fears are not necessarily a a snake that's not poisonous. I mean, obviously at this campground, they wouldn't bring poisonous snakes that could, you know, like they weren't bringing cobras in or, you know, nothing that could, kill these kids as they were petting them. It was like a petting zoo. Um, but sometimes they're not even real fears. Sometimes they're just the what ifs. And, and what if this happens? And, and I don't know what I would do in this situation. There are people who lose faith in God without ever being reasoned out of their beliefs. You don't have to reason them out of their beliefs for them just to say, you know what, I'm good. I don't don't really believe in God anymore. Frequently, their emotions simply take their reason hostage. And with the mind held at bay, faith is hijacked and emptied of its power. A human heart that is ruled by emotions as powerfully as it is ruled by reason. What is your heart ruled by? Are you run by emotions? Are you ruled by reason? Now, we, we get to this thing where it's like, well, it's got to be a balance. And you, you find people, and then maybe you know some of them, and maybe you fall into that category where, where they're just run by emotions. Don't, I'm not going to ask you to show your hands today. Or you got other people that will do nothing because unless they can reason it out, are, are just that kind of people, right? But we, life has to be in balance. The moment that we are all just one way or the other, we find it hard to actually be who God has called us to be. But it's often the emotional factor that outguns and outpowers the logical thinking of our minds. understanding. Elijah was this way. In 1 Kings chapter 19 and verses 1 to 8, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me And more also, if I do not make your life like one of them by the time, this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. He got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a solitary broom tree. And he asked that he might die. It's enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, "Get up and eat." He looked, and there was a, at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him and said, "Get up and eat." Otherwise, the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank. (coughs) I'm sorry. Then he went into the strength. Sorry, sorry. Then he went in in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. It's almost too incredible to believe this story, isn't it? If you know what has happened in Elijah's life, just prior to that moment, just prior to wanting to die and laying under this broom tree, he had just had an amazing account, a battle on the the top of the mountain where the prophets of Baal couldn't burn up the sacrifices and there was a a battle going on and he said, you know what, maybe your God's sleeping and he's mocking them and he's taunting them and he... He calls for a bunch of water to be dumped on, and he then he calls down from God fire to burn up that sacrifice. And it does, and even though it's all soaked and everything. I mean, just an amazing account, like Elijah is just at the top of his game, or so to speak. He's just at the pinnacle. And now he's coming down from this, and this has heard. Or sorry, Jezebel has heard that he has done this, and she said, no, 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 you're going to run for your life. Can you imagine? Coming from the top of your game to being scared for your life. He allowed his emotions to click in for far more than his reason, didn't he? He had just come through some of the most glorious times. He just dueled it out with them on Mount Carmel. suddenly we see him begging to die why because he'd been threatened i know enemies can be a problem but this goes against logic doesn't it when you just think about where he was like this this doesn't even make sense it's like elijah like like wake up man like like you're just there a God who can send fire down from heaven and feed Elijah with a miracle cake can easily take care of Elijah, can't he? This fear almost denies explanation. It almost defies explanation. But it's really not that strange at all. Elijah's worn out. He's depressed, he's hungry, he's vulnerable. He's overstretched and under rested. And it's clear from this passage that God also thinks he's undernourished. And I believe that's why God feeds him twice, even before he instructs him once hey, get up, eat. Here you go, eat again. Even before I'm telling you what to do, let's take care of your need. God lets Elijah sleep, and he says, you know what, we'll talk later. You go get what you need, and we'll deal with this. You go take care of yourself, Elijah, with what you have need of, and we'll deal with this issue when you're in a better space. How many of you know that you can't deal with things when you're not in the right mindset? If your mind isn't there, your emotions aren't there, you can't deal with it. You're all over the place. Yeah, me as well. You know, when you are done, when you are spent, it's like I, I, I don't even know which way to go. That's where Elijah found himself. And that's why I, th- I believe as believers, God tells us to take the Sabbath, to make sure that we're taking a day for rest. And and maybe it's been a while since you've actually been able just to rest. But God wants you to take care of yourself. You can tell. Many are taking that advice (laughs) on the long weekend. Many are at the beach or the lake. And that's okay. That's good. We do need to refresh ourselves. Sharon and I are getting away in a couple of weeks as well for some holidays. Why? Because we need to rest. We need to be restored. We need to have our strength built back up. So don't feel guilty for doing that. Don't feel bad for doing that. Don't feel bad for saying, you know what, I need to be restored. I need to have my strength built back up. Because that's what we need, isn't it? If we're going to fight any kind of a battle, we can't just be worn out. So this is what God is saying to him. He says, you know what? We'll talk later. Elijah, you take care of yourself. See, Elijah, he's ready to throw in the towel. He's ready to give it all up. He's ready to say, you know what? It's better that I just die. Sometimes a small aggravating pinprick to our pride is the most effective tool for deflating living faith. Anger has dethroned more faith than all the arguments atheists can marshal. We say that again. Anger has dethroned more faith than all the arguments atheists can marshal. You see, when we are angry at God, we don't make sense of our faith anymore. We get all frustrated and say, God, why did you? Why did you not? And, and we fight with him as opposed to saying, God, I'm sorry, you're God I'm not. I trust you. I trust you. My trust isn't shaken because I didn't get what I wanted. My trust isn't shaken because it doesn't look like I have what I think I should have. God, I trust you. My trust is not shaken. I like that. The song fits so well with my sermon this morning. I will not be shaken. I won't allow these things to just upset everything because God is still faithful. Why do our emotions have so much power? Ever wonder that question? Maybe you're not an emotional being, maybe you've been called a stone, but I think somewhere there, there's emotion. You know, we may think we've got to be stoic, and maybe somebody says, you know, no crying for you, it's toughen up. You know, men don't cry, all these weird phrases. Uh, no, Jesus wept. You know, we, we get this funny idea, don't we? I got to be strong for this. Yeah, our emotions have a lot of power. The main cause of a living, reasonable, solitary understanding of faith is that when it comes off the rail sometimes, it comes off probably because of the explosive power of some unguarded, uncontrolled emotional response to an external situation. It's something that we can't figure out on our own. It's something that didn't really, it's outside of us, but it happened to us, and we just allow that to go wild, and it's like a train wreck. As opposed to saying, God, I trust you with this. I trust you with this. Perhaps more than anything, this is what the Bible means when it cautions against the lust of the flesh. Now, the moment that we hear that word, lust of the flesh, we automatically thinking, you know, looking googly eyes with some, over some, you know, female or male, and it's like, oh, that's what it, no, let's understand that word. That's not exactly what that passage is meaning. Lusts are not just sexual things. Lusts are desires that dominate sound judgment. Desires that override reason and self-control. These lusts don't attack the true content of your faith. They don't disprove God. They don't invalidate the content of God's word. They don't have to. They simply have to get us off the rails. They simply have to distract our lives enough to take us away from what God would want for us. So where do our emotions and our desires get such devastating power? Our emotions are so powerful because of the fall. If it weren't for the effects of sin our minds, will, and emotions would all function like they were created to. But that's not the case, is it? We live in a world that has the effects of the fall, and each one of us live with that, and that's what we have to continue to to put to death and to understand that this needs to be submitted to Christ. I can't just be running around by my, my will, emotions, or, or whatever part of us that we're letting to run wild. We have to bring it all under control, all under the word of God. And say, God, what, what's going on here? How does my life line up with this? You see, the devil knows it's much easier to change the way we feel than to change the way we think. He can play with our emotions a lot easier than he can play with our mind. And if he can play with our emotions and get us to, th- to feel like God is distant from us, even though we know that God tells us that he is right there and he'll never leave us nor forsake us, we know that in black and white. But if he can get us to feel like God has left us, well, you see, he, he gets a hold of the emotional part more than the intellectual part. He, sa- he knows that people will never dream of denying their Lord can easily nurse anger towards a brother. So he aims his efforts at our emotions because our emotions are the most vulnerable part to outside influence. Our emotions are so powerful because they're more vivid than our reasoned thoughts. If you want to think of it this way, your your reason. For those of you who are, you may remember the old black and white TVs, where if you had one, your that was what you had. That was your living room wall taken up. Right? It was like a six foot cabinet with a with a, the tiniest blo- well tiny now black and white TV in the middle with two huge speakers where you could easily lay company on top of that as an extra bed. Like, they were huge. You know, so you think of your... your, For a reason like that, like an old... Like, you're just seeing things in black and white. For those of you who are younger, and you're saying, what's black and white? You ask your parents to put on a black and white show, and you're like, oh, this is weird. They're all just monotone, like grayscales. And our emotions... That's like going to IMAX for the first time, if you've never been to IMAX. It's like, wow, it's like everywhere. And and the best sound system you could think of. That's our emotions, it's like, boom, show. Our intellect's like black and white. It's like, okay, we know it's there. We're not gonna spend time on it. Temptation isn't irresistible, but it feels irresistible. Anger isn't justified, but I tell you, at times it sure feels justified. Despair isn't totally black, but it feels black. There's nothing sinful in emotions themselves. God gave you emotions. God created you with emotions. Don't ever say to somebody, stop being so emotional. God created them with emotions. Now, maybe their emotions need to line up with the Word of God more, but that doesn't mean we just tell them to turn those taps off. Emotions have the potential to become great enemies of faith for two reasons they're too easily influenced and they're too influential they're too easily influenced and they're too influential we just uh, can uh, you know emotions can change over the course of a day my emotions this morning they could use some good news and I start thinking about the goodness of God It's I like okay thank you Lord thank you for your goodness you know to have two friends pass away in two days, it's pretty pretty raw. And our emotions are too easily influenced. And they're too influential. Sometimes we just let ourselves run by those. Sometimes we just let ourselves run with those emotions, and God says, you know what? No, just reel it back a little bit. It's okay to have emotions, but they also have to line up with the Word of God. They have to make sense. They have to fit into what I'm saying. So what do we do about this problem? There are three basic steps that we can take against doubts caused by emotions out of control. The first thing we need to do is to recognize the place of the mind in the Christian life. We need to recognize the place of the mind in the Christian life. I don't mean that the mind is the only important part of the Christian life. I know that faith is much more than merely understanding and agreeing with doctrinal truths in the head. But the vast majority of times in Scripture, when we read that word "heart," it's really meaning the mind. It's meaning our understanding. So when you read Scripture and it talks about in your in your heart, it means also meaning your intellect. In only a very small portion of these scriptures, when it talks about the heart, is it talking about emotions in scripture? The mind is the controlling part of the Christian life. It governs and steers and regulates the God-given emotions and responses that lie within us. The mind is the regulator of the will and the emotions. Some people are run by their emotions, and I tell you that your emotions need to line up with your intellect, not the other way around. Because if we are just run by our emotions, then we would, we would, they would constantly be changing as opposed to understanding and be reasoned out and saying, no, that's not true. If you just let your emotions run you, then go on a roller coaster at Disney, and you'll find out how quick you, that isn't true. That ride's not designed to end your life. But if you were run by emotions, you're gonna think it is. Right? Especially if you're going Space Mountain, that's our family's favorite favorite ride. Yeah, it isn't. The mind is the regulator of the will and emotions. If the emotions were given the key place in coming to Christ. In other words, if the, if the emotions were in the driver's seat from the beginning, it's very hard to bring them under control of the mind at some point later. You, we need to know our emotional triggers. What triggers your emotions? What sets you off? Maybe it is CNN or Fox News or wh- whatever you're watching in between those two. But we need to know what sets us off. like what what just flips that switch? It's like, you know what, I, I need to bring this the, sun to the to God's word. It's important that we know what sets our emotions off. Why? Because the devil knows. He knows what buttons to push. See, we are emotional beings. We are emotional. The enemy of your soul and my soul would love just to keep pushing those buttons that set you off. You ever go to the store, the toy aisle particularly, and they got all those press here buttons? Yeah. No, you have to press them all. You know, or we were at a store this week, and they've got wind chimes. I'm not telling you where it is, but it starts with home and it ends with hardware. (laughs) <laughs> and then we've got all these wind chimes up in there, up in the one aisle, and we were walking through there, and I'm like, oh, these are cool, and Catherine and Sharon are with me yesterday morning, and they're just like, dad, you know, Daryl, they were walking away from me. I was just making them all go. I was just making them all go, you know, you just, but that's the way it is, the enemy with your soul and my soul, and he's just pressing the buttons, he's like, I, I keep pressing this one. He's watch you dance and jiggle if it's a tickle meow. He's like, ha! Ah. He's like, you listen to Tickle Meow. Our kids had one of those. We all would love the batteries to die in that thing. Because he would just love to keep setting you off. Hey, let's trigger you here. Let's press it again. Oh, that got a real rise out of you. I'll press that one again. That's what he's doing with your emotions if they don't line up with God's word. He just keeps pressing that button. And you're like, oh my goodness, i got to get off of this ride. And he keeps pressing, and then he finds another one, and then he really has you moving and going all over the place with your emotions. You see, this is the kind of strategy, I think, when we hear about the word spiritual warfare. It's understanding that our emotions need to line up with the word that we know. It's a battle, yes, it's a battle to have our our whole body line up with the Word of God, that's truth, that we can read, that we can understand in our minds, but it's getting everything else to line up with that. We know the Word. We know the Bible. We can read it. But we need to have our lives lined up to it. The lust of the flesh, those unruly emotional currents and responses are part of our fallen nature. And it's the primary tool of the enemy of our soul. I believe that's how he comes to kill, to steal, to rob, to destroy our lives, by having us lose sight of who we are. You see, what makes you blow up in rage, what incites lust, what generates Material, materialistic impulses in your life. What causes you to hate others? That's not what God would want for you. But the enemy, he knows exactly which ones to press. Oh, hey, you get annoyed with somebody who just keeps. Rah, 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 rah. You anybody else? There's like three hours later on the phone. It's like your battery's dying, and it's like, hey, yeah, I just need to hang up on you. You know, and, and it's, he knows what buttons to press. He knows how to set you off. He knows how to get you frustrated by the person that cuts you off in traffic. And if it's, if it's my car, you probably deserved it. But he knows how to get you to hate others. He knows how to get you to turn against somebody because that's what he does. That's what he'd like to keep you in. That's what he'd like to keep you bondaged in. The psalmist David wrote this in Psalm 19, verses 12 to 13. But who can detect their errors? Clear me from their hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from the insolent. Do not let them have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. David sprang for protection. Say, God, keep me from this. Can you hear me this morning? If you catch nothing else, you need to learn to talk to yourself more than you listen to yourself. You need to learn to talk to yourself more than you listen to yourself. Our emotions will tell us all kinds of weird and wonderful things. But if we talk to ourselves, if we remind ourselves of Scripture, David did it. He's saying, no, no, that's crazy people talk to themselves. No, it's when we start having conversations with ourselves. It's a little bit awkward for those around us. But you can say to yourself, you know what? Get up. David did it. He said, why so downcast? Oh, my soul. Like, get up. Put your hope in God. Like, remind yourself of the scripture that you've read and say, no, this is, this is what God's word says. I need to talk to myself more than I listen to myself because myself will tell me, you know, they're, they're just wanting to frustrate you, wanting to annoy you, wanting to be, God says, no, I want you just to love those who frustrate you. I want you to show compassion to those that nobody else would show compassion. To. That's what Christ did for us, isn't it? So let's talk to ourselves more than we listen to ourselves. Let's say, self, we know the word of God. Let's focus on that. This is not a one-time action, but it's a lifelong habit. Your emotions are not going away. You're saying, oh, I wish these ones would. But they shouldn't go away. Your emotions were God-given. We may have let them run wild, and it's time to rein them in. But it's not our emotions that need to be done away with. They need to be instructed. It's okay to be angry. The Bible tells us, though in our anger, do not sin. Oh, okay, there's a limit. We have to listen to our emotions, but they don't run us. They must be instructed. They must. If they do most of the talking, if your emotions do most of the talking in your life, your faith won't stand. So, since we're talking about comebacks, Elijah goes from the top of his game to the bottom of his game, to the bottom of his life. And the Lord says, "You know what, Elijah? I'm not done with you. I'm so sure." When he's laying under that broom tree, he's like, "No, but you please, could you be done with me? But could we just be done right now? Like I've I've enjoyed this, right? But I'm I just want to get off. How many of you know if you've ever been on a ride in your life? You know, it's like at the end of it, it's like not many of us want to keep going multiple times, especially as we get older. You know, when you're when you're in those Early teenage years, you want to keep going on that roller coaster every day. You can. But as you get older, it's like, yeah, one and good. You know, one and done. You know, I don't need to ride it again. I'm sure Elijah's like, can I just stop? Like, can I come off this? God says, no, you go back to where you were. Because I want you to do something else. You go back to where you were. The Lord said to him in verses 15 to 18, the Lord said to him, go Return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel as king over Aram. You shall also anoint Jehu, son of Nimish. I'm going to butcher these names, but that's okay. As king over Israel, you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, as a prophet in your place. Whoever escapes the sword from Hazel, Jehu, shall kill. And whoever escapes the sword with Jehu, Elisha, shall kill. You see, he thought he was all alone. I want you to read verse 18. He thought he was the only one, and that's why he was running for his life. Because you know what? I'm the only one left. I'm down, and I'm discouraged, and there's just me. That's what they had him thinking. And God says, no, Elijah, you don't get it. There's 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal. And everyone has not kissed his mouth. The Lord brought him back from thinking he was the only one left. to saying, you know what? There's 7,000 that have not given up. There's 7,000 who have not given in. Don't you dare think you're the last one and it's better off that you just die because you're alone in this. There's 7,000 who have not given up. Wow. So he got up and did what God had called him to do. Talk about a comeback. Talk about a comeback of thinking, you know what, this is it. I'm done. There's nobody else. I'm the last one. God says, you know, there's 7,000. Oh, it changes perspective, doesn't it? When we think we're the only ones, if we allow our emotions to go, if we think we're the only one, the enemy can defeat us. But the moment that we know that we're not alone in this, that God is there with us. And one plus God always equals a majority. Speak to your emotions rather than allowing them to speak to you. And ask Rory and Maria to come back. We're going to prepare our hearts for communion. If you did not get some, there's some of the table right back there. You see emotions? Emotions are like when you and I were kids in the backseat of a car going on holidays. You You remember those times? Maybe you've got kids and you're like, yeah, I'm there right now. But I want us to picture, I know we all were kids. And you know what kind of fun time you had. Are we there yet? I'm hungry. If, you were there, if there was two of you in your family, you got alone for five minutes, then you fought for five minutes, then you got along for five minutes, then you cried for five minutes, then you fought some more for five minutes. But you, you continued to get along. Well, good. It's all good. Like kids in the back seat. You know, when we were kids in the backseat, it was so wonderful to be back there. But it's like this one thing that I saw. This guy says it was the longest drum solo ever recorded was 10 hours, 27 minutes. It was on the back of his airplane seat from London to New York. (laughs) Right? It's like, can you imagine being the driver? Oh. My nerves used to get shot. We would drive long distances with our kids and how many of you know after hour 11 you were kind of spent? All all of us were. And you would probably have done that to your parents as well. Even if it was only 10 minutes down the road. Are we there yet? How much longer? You see kids in the back seat. They're wonderful to have. But they're disastrous to have if you allow them to take the wheel. The same way with our emotions. Our emotions cannot be what steers our life. It can't be. The moment we allow our emotions to go wild. The moment that we allow our emotions to run us. Is when we have left. We let reason leave. We know what God's word tells us. Yes, God's word tells you, if you are a believer here this morning, is that you're loved. That in fact He, and if you are not a believer here this morning, God loves you as well. It's not any different. And, and God's word would tell us that not only are we loved, but that God sent His Son Jesus Christ to die on a cross for our sin. That we can know in our mind. We can know that because we can read it in scripture. And that if we would confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That we can know in scripture, we can read it. But our emotions get in there sometimes we think, well, God doesn't love me and God doesn't care about me. I don't want you to hear me this morning. God loves you so much that he sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross for your sins if you were the only person. He said, God must have forgotten me because our emotions can do that at times, can't they? Tell us all kinds of things that aren't true. I want you to know that God has never left you. You see, when we understand who exactly God is and who we are in Him, I tell you, nothing can move that. But when we allow emotions to take over, we can say, well, I feel like God has moved. God hasn't moved. You're the one who has. God hasn't left you. Scripture tells us that he's as close as his name, the name of Jesus. You see, that's why we have to know the word of God. The moment that we allow emotions to run us, We begin to believe all kinds of false things. All kinds of things that the enemy would just love you to believe. I want you to know that God loves you. He's made a plan for you. Because he wants to be with you in glory for eternity. Our friend Scott, yeah, he's there today. My friend Jay, yeah, he's there today. Know that the Bible tells us is that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. That we know, for we can read it. God has given us those words. So we don't have to wonder. We don't have to be run by our emotions. We can say, God, I thank you. That doesn't mean we don't have emotions, but please, I'm not telling you to be a stone. But we will hold on to the truths and we allow the truths to guide how we live. We hurt, yes. We grieve, yes. We'll be angry, yes. We'll be sad, absolutely. But we we also have an assurance because the word tells us. If you're here this morning or you're watching us on live stream and you don't know the Lord is your personal savior, you've not said, Father, I thank you that you sent your son to die on a cross for my sins. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as understanding that God loved you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross for your sins. It's about confessing and believing. Saying, God, I thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on a cross for my sins. And I accept that fact that I'm a sinner and my sins separated me. And Jesus was the price that was paid. And I commit my life to you now it's as simple as that. You're not joining a church because no church can save you. You're simply acknowledging the truth of God's word. And we do that this morning as we partake of communion. You see, Christ gave us his body. And if you want to pull the first piece of cellophane off, He offered his body for us. There was only one sacrifice needed after Christ died. Before him, all the the law required a sacrifice for your sin. But with Jesus Christ, he became that great sacrifice to die on a cross for our sins. So as we partake of the bread together, we remember that there is one body. We are part of one body together with the believers around this world. Let's partake of the bread together, understanding that we're part of his body. Father we thankful. we are so thankful for your son who was that sacrifice for us who paid the price for our sin to redeem us to restore us and not just to restore part of us but to restore all of us our mind will and emotions. And as they were gathered in that upper room, he took the cup talking about a new covenant. See, the old covenant, as I said earlier, required sacrifices. You had to continually sacrifice. But Jesus said, you know what, I've come that you might have a new covenant, one of grace. Not of the law, because the law simply condemns us. But grace takes us just as we are and restores us. There's a vast difference. One points at your wrongs, the other one points at the Savior and says, I'll take your wrongs. I'll take every single one of them. It's grace, it's a new covenant. So so this blood, this cup signifies the blood of Christ. The blood that was built for you and for me because the Bible tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So Christ had to die on that cross for our sin. So that we could be redeemed, so that we could be purchased back. So that we could live a life in grace. I to encourage you to take the cup with me together. Understanding that Christ has been the sacrifice for you and for me. life for us, for redeeming us, for purchasing us. Lord, help our lives not to be just run by our emotions. But Lord, help our lives to be governed by your word, which we've heard, which we've received, which we've settled into our heart and our mind, so that our our whole being, Lord, our emotions, would line up with what we know. Father, would you go with us today? strengthen our lives. Lord, make us a blessing to those we would connect with. for any area of your life. You can meet me down here this morning. i be happy to pray with you and for you. You must leave. God bless you and be with you. Please be in prayer for the Buzan family. Just remember them. If God instructs you to share a word with, with Denise or one of the kids, be responsible and say, hey okay, God, I will. I'll, I'll send a text. I'll send a message. But let's Let's just be praying for them. Let's continue to remember Lucy AC in prayer as God's been ministering to her. And for our friend Jay, also went to be with the Lord, let's remember his family. May God bless you and be with you this week. May God strengthen you and make you a blessing.